Well, good morning, church. Will you stand with us?
seated. Well, it's that time of year. Uh, the grass is growing. I don't know about you, but uh, my grass is growing at speeds I haven't seen before. I think it's because maybe the rain that we've had. Uh, is there some do-it-yourselfers out there that love to keep that yard manicured and Kevin, yeah, I see some fingers pointing like this guy right here. He's the shamer guy. He's the one that makes everybody get out there and cut the grass because his yard looks so good. Um, this week I was looking for, I was getting ready to weed eat. And I was looking for my can that I have mixed gas, right? So everybody knows what that is, right? It's where you have a little bit of oil mixed in with that gasoline so it kind of keeps that that engine running like it should. And I couldn't find mine and. uh so I had to you know, kind of dig around, and uh, I was kind of thinking about a time when I poured regular gas with no oil into a small engine that needed that, right? What do you think happened there? It just just locked right up, didn't it? I mean, just, and I'm thinking, what just happened here? Like, just stopped. But, you know, the manufacturer or the engineer that kind of, you know, designed that, created it with a need, Right? created that with a need when i think about that i think about our god our heavenly father when he created you and me he created us with a need too right we kind of go about our daily lives we kind of work make an income provide for our families we take care of our our relationships but you know, in the end, the great designer, he created us with this, this, this hole, this space that only he can fill. Amen. So when you're thinking about that today, I just, we have a time and service that we designate. This is, this is just another opportunity. It's another part of our worship as we come and, you know, come forward and grab the cup piece of bread and we kind of relive and just bring to life what Christ did for us when he became that ultimate sacrifice when he abolished the old law the old covenant and brought the new covenant so as you're heading up and you're doing that just um, think about, does he have that place in your heart that he wants to fill, that he longs to fill for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's only you. The old song says, you're all I need. I have everything, but you're, but you're all I need. So Father, today, Lord, as we just Take communion and make that seal of the covenant that you have for us. May we understand what it truly means. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
presence in this place, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. You're sovereign, Lord. We know you're moving this church, this world, in us. We thank you, Lord. Help us to be tuned and dialed in, Lord, to what you're doing, what your presence what your spirit is doing in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated.
Last month, early uh, April, that was our uh, student ministry who obviously got to go down to uh, Guatemala on their spring break mission trip. Um, we just wanted you guys to see that, that this morning because it's really a, an incredible picture about what we're going to talk about in the next few moments. Just the idea that God has called us into action. We hear every week at the end of the service... We say uh, something like this. Well, we actually say exactly this, right? Go love God, love people, and change the world, right? And when we say that, there, there are weeks, I, can I just be totally honest with you? Like, there are some weeks where I'm like, God, I don't know if I have it in me to go change anything this week. I don't even feel like changing my clothes this week, much less changing the world, right? There, there is that sometimes it's like, okay, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? How do I engage in that big mission to understand that God's called me to make a difference, a real impact in this world? And it can be hard. It can be difficult at times. And so this morning, my goal is to encourage us as a church family to maybe inspire you a little bit to look at your life and to say, hey, what is it, God? What have you put in my path? What have you put in my life? What have you put inside of me? How have you wired me? How have you designed me? What is it that you have for me to do and to say and to be in this world? Because here's what we need to understand. We are called to make a difference. We are called to change the world. As individuals, as, as a church, as people who say, yes, Jesus, I believe you. I believe in you. I want to follow in your ways. How do we make a difference? And so what we talk about here is, is we say, you know what? We don't do this alone. We're not, we're not meant to live in isolation. We're meant to live together in community with one another. And so when we talk about missional living and living on mission, we talk about doing this together as a group of believers, as a group of people, as a community, right, of changed lives. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Here's a passage of scripture that Dave referred to it two weeks ago. <coughs> Excuse me. It was all through the, the last couple of weeks, or actually three weeks ago, I, 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 uh, through the last couple of weeks as we talked about children's ministry and women's ministry. I want to remind you of this. You guys have heard it and you've read it, but, but sometimes we just need to stop and contemplate the power of it. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It'll be on the screen. It's verses 18 through 20, and it's known as the Great Commission. And here's what Jesus said. 
Jesus came and he told his disciples this. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, this is, this is God speaking. This is all authority. Like there's nothing or no one or you're not going to hear anything else. No one's ever going to say anything else that's going to be have more power and authority with what in which I'm about to say. This is it. And here's what he says. He looks at his disciples. He looks at those gathered there. He says this. Therefore, because of who I am as Lord, Jesus says, therefore, with all the authority that heaven can muster, here's what you need to do. You need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this. I'm going to be with you. You don't go alone. We're going to do this together. And I'm going to be right there with you. My Spirit is going to be leading you and guiding you and with you to the very end of this age. And so what we have to really understand, we hear it, we comprehend it, but do we feel it in our bones? These are Jesus's words. And he said, you go and you teach and you declare and you baptize and you lead and you serve and you love, you show people who God is and how great he is and how much he loves them. And so our desire as a church is to be a group of people who form a community of changed lives. No one should feel alone or isolated in a community of God's people. He's designed us to experience this with others because we're hardwired to crave community with other people. And so his intent for us is to journey through this life alongside of each other, right? Created us to love one another, to serve one another, and to sacrifice for one another. And the source of that love is, is Jesus. The example that we follow when we serve, the example that those students and those leaders follow when they serve is Jesus's. He, his love, his actions, his words, his heart. For the Son of Man came into this world not to be served, Jesus said. I didn't come, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come the first time to sit on a throne. That'll come later. When I came, I came to serve and to love and to wash feet and to sacrifice. And so the sacrifice that we give, whatever it is, it's a high school student giving up their spring break. That looked like a lot of fun, right? That was, that, 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 but there's like, they could have been on a beach somewhere. They could have been doing a lot of other things <clears throat> with their spring break. To sacrifice, to, to raise all that money, to go do something like that, to say, God, I want to, I want you to use me in this incredible way. There's so many good things that have gone on 
with those trips to Guatemala over the years. I think about the lives that have been impacted, the partners that we have down there. CRI, you saw some, some of the stuff that they are involved in that our students get to be a part of. I think about a student who grew up here, Luke Dove, who's down there now serving in Guatemala with another one of our partners. And the influence that a trip like that had on his life when a student just says, hey, I just want to, I want to go and serve and see what this, this whole thing is all about. Like, what does it really look like? To follow Jesus. Like, I don't want to just talk about it anymore. I want to experience it. And so we're called to, to love and to serve and to sacrifice in those things, in, in those ways. And so what we have here is what, at Shelby Christian, we have what, what I like to uh, phrase as a term as like a missional strategy, right? We don't, we don't really talk about missions or mission ministry or, or, or those kind of things in like this isolated like silo ministry over here that's like separate from the rest of the church and say, oh, well, that's the missions department or that's the missions committee or that's for people. Like what, what I want all of us to understand that is that whether you've been on an international mission trip or not, you are on mission. You are on a mission. You have been called to live a missional life right here in this community with the people that, that you know and have a relationship with. It, it may be a calling that God places on your life to go somewhere else in this country or in this world, whatever the case may be. You're called to live on mission with the Lord, to engage the whole church. That's what we want when we talk about missions and together. And we say we are doing this because we've been called. We've been given a great commission. And so we're on mission. We're advancing the kingdom of God together. And the thing that we talk about here, several of the things we talk about, is we want to do this as a church. We, we do that as a church, within the church. We do that in the community and we also do that in the world. We do it together. Here's what Ephesians 4, 16 says. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Here's the truth of that passage. The, the truth of that passage is when the church is full of love, it's healthy. And it's growing. You could, you could flip that around, that phrase around and say, hey, when, when the church is healthy and growing, it's full of love. It couldn't be clear in God's word. When, when we understand what it looks like to, to fit this all together, to become a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, God does something really powerful. And so we use three phrases to cast the vision of our together strategy. We say we want to be for the church. The, the first thing that we realize is that we are, are a people who say, hey, those of us who are a part, you guys that are a part of this congregation, a part of this family, we're, we're for you. How can we, how can we equip you? How can we encourage you? How can we help you realize what God's called you to be in this world? And so we try to do that. We try to do that in a lot of different areas. We say, okay, when somebody raises their hand and says, I feel like God's calling me to go to Italy. Or, God, I feel like God's calling me to go to Guatemala. Not, not just like on a week trip, but to live there, right? How do we come alongside those people and say, all right, how do we help? How, how do we encourage? How do we equip? How, how do we help people realize what God's called them to do? And then when you guys come along, some of you guys come along and say, hey, I feel like God's calling me 
to start a Bible study at work during lunch. I feel like that's where God's placed me. And, and we look and we go, yeah, that's exactly where God's placed you. How can we help? How can we help you be missional in the approach that you have to your workplace? Or a student comes and says, hey, I really want to I really wanna start sharing Jesus with some of my teammates, some of my classmates. And I, I don't know how, how to do that. Will you guys help me do that? Absolutely. How, how can we help people here in this local church realize and understand what God has for them, his calling on their life. The second thing we talk about is we want to be for this community. We want people in Shelbyville, Kentucky, and in Shelby County to understand and to realize that Shelby Christian Church is for you. Hey, we are, we're there with you because we are your neighbors. We live in this community with you, and we are for you. We, we want to share something with you. And it's the truth about who Jesus is, and it's the good news of the gospel. We want to share that with you, but we first want to serve you, and we want to love you, and we want to sacrifice for you. How can we show people in Shelbyville that we are for this community? We do that together. And then the last thing we say is we talk about we want to do this for the world. We realize that Jesus, when he stood there and told his disciples to go, he said, go. And you go to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. You keep going. Until everyone that you have the opportunity and the influence to be in contact with, to be in relationship with, knows how much God loves them and what he's done for them through his son Jesus. And so we talk about for the church and for the community and for the world. And at the heart of this Together initiative is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to activate our faith. Here's the big idea today. When your head and your heart move your hands and feet into action, others see God's love through you. When your head and your heart, when you say, okay, I got it. I realize that I've been inspired. Now I'm going to use my hands and my feet and I'm going to put them into action. Others will see God's love through you because we go and we do those things in the name of of Jesus. And when that happens, God blesses that and incredible things happen. I want you to listen to John's words. In 1 John chapter 4, he says this in verses 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full, I love this, his, his love is brought to full expression. We haven't physically seen God, but when we, John said, when we love others in this way, there's this full expression of God's love in their life and in our life. But then I want you to, to remember what James said, because we don't just do this with, with words. It's not just, oh, that's a nice thought, or, you know, people should just know that I'm, I'm really loving and I love them and I care. Like they should just feel that when I'm in their presence because I do care about them, right? James would go on to say, that's, that's not good enough. Here's what he says in James chapter two. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say to them, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
So you see, faith by itself, it's not enough, James says, unless it produces good deeds. It it is dead and useless, James says. And someone may argue, well, some people have faith and other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds, James says. And then he finishes this way. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. He says, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And so what James says is, here is, here, here's what he says. And we don't, we don't get this wrong. Right? We, we don't misunderstand this and understand we have to work our way into heaven or earn salvation. Like we, we don't do that. We don't earn that. We can't earn that. That is grace. That is mercy. That is Jesus. That's all Jesus. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into God's love. God already loves us in spite of us and in spite of our sin, God loves us, right? But but what James says is because of your faith, because of your relationship with Jesus, because you realize this, the outpouring, the result of that will be your good deeds, Because you recognize what God has done for you through Jesus, the result of that realization in your head and your heart proves itself out to the rest of the world in your actions. That's what James is saying here. And so we say we don't have a missions department or a ministry separate from the church. We say that we're called to be a a group of people who who are on mission, who are, are full this understanding of what it looks like to be on mission for Jesus in this community, in this church, and around the world. I want to, in, in the few moments that we have left this morning, I want to give you guys a gospel picture of what this idea looks like. If you got your Bibles, it's found in John chapter 4. We're going to be there um, for the next couple moments. This is a story that, that a lot of you guys have heard, you've read, You've done Bible studies on it. You've been in Sunday school class. Like you've seen, you've, this is something that, that you will be very familiar to, to a lot of you guys. But, but here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Even though this story may not be new to you. I want to really encourage you this morning to, to look at it from a, a different angle. To maybe not just hear it or to read it. But to really feel exactly what's going on here. Because there's something really powerful in this story. This is a story, like I said, it's in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are traveling by foot from Judea to Galilee. Eventually they come to the, the village of Sychar. There was a, uh, Sychar was a Samaritan village and it was the, uh, the home of this sacred well known as Jacob's Well. It was there, right? And because it was a Samaritan area, it, would have not, uh, it wouldn't have been something or a place that the Jews would have been completely comfortable with traveling through. Because Jewish people and Samaritan people, they didn't get along. They didn't like one another. They, they, just, they just tried to basically avoid one another at all costs. And so... There's a, an understanding and an idea that the Jewish people would, in fact, they would go out of their way a lot of times to travel around places in Samaria. Even though it would require a longer trip, 
This trip in in, in particular, uh, scholars said like this was a three day trip from where Jesus was going, from the place he was going to the place he would end up. But if he and if he went through Samaria, it'd be like a three day trip. If he decided to take like the long way around, like the bypass, right? It would have added two more days to his trip. And so Jesus, with the disciples, he makes the call and he says, "You know what? We're going through Samaria on this trip." And so there they are taking this trip. And I want you to look at what happens in in verse 4. It says, Jesus was tired from the long walk. And he sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Now I want you to to underline, to notice, to circle, to highlight the fact that, that John says it was about noontime. I want you to also just recognize that this is the full humanness, like the full man that, John, that Jesus is, right? That he's tired. They've been walking. It's hot. The road's dusty. They're on foot, right? And so, like, this is a... You know, imagine walking for, like, two and three days, like, just to get to the next town, right? And Jesus says, can we just sit down for a second? Let's go up here to Jacob's well. I just want to sit down and rest. And so here's what I picture. I don't know, obviously, that this is how it actually happened. But I just kind of picture Jesus, like, sitting down maybe in, like, the shadow of the well a little bit. Like, on that side of the well. Just kind of sitting there with his back rested up against the well. Just kind of, like, taking a break. That's the picture I have in my mind. That's what happens. And then it says that, that a few minutes later, after he's there, the disciples, they decide that they're going to go into town to look for some food. And here's what happens next. Verse, uh, verse 7 there, it says, A woman comes to the well to draw water. Again, it's about noontime. And she says, and Jesus sees her there, and, and she's getting her water. And Jesus says, Will you give me a drink? Hot, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? And the, the, the things that happen in the next few moments are really miraculous. One, because Jewish people and Samaritan people didn't talk to one another. And for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman would have been like taboo. It would have been like, you just don't do that under no circumstances. They were just to like ignore each other's existence. But here's what I want you to, to understand about this woman. The, one of the first things you need to understand is that John says she, she comes to the well at about noontime. It, it, we get the impression that it's Jesus and her, that they're the only two there, that this conversation begins. And I thought this week about, and I've read some, some commentaries and some, some other um, scholars have theorized about why this is important, why John would have said noon. It was about noontime. Here, here's an idea. Here's a thought, right? Normally, if you're a, a woman and you're going to bring a jar to the well, this well would have been a well that everybody in the community in the village would have used, right? It's where they go to get their water. And if you're a, a woman and you have these jars and you're, I need the water for today's Duties, you know, for the, for the, for food or for laundry, you know, whatever, like whatever the day may bring for you, right? Like when would you probably normally go do that? One of the ideas is that you would probably go in the morning, early in the morning, for, for several reasons. You'd go in the morning because it's not as hot. Right? It's a lot cooler in the morning. So you'd go get your water then. You'd go do it because, like, all right, that day, here are all the things we have to do, so we need water to start off our day. Or maybe you go at night when it's cooler again, and you have the water there in your place, in your home, for the next day. 
Those would have probably been the busy times around that well. At about noontime, people were making meals, people were working in their homes, people have gone on with the rest of their day, right? And so there's this idea that this, this woman, she's, a, she's avoiding. <laughs> she's avoiding people. She, she's probably understanding, because we'll see a little bit about her, more about her story in a second. She's, she knows that, you know, I just don't, I don't have time or the energy or the heart or the, just the mind to deal with these other women in the village that are always looking at me, that are always, you know, little evil stares and shunning me and, and, and casting guilt and blame on me. And I picture this, this is a woman who is just, because of the circumstances of her life, she's just been beaten down. And, and, I, and I have a picture that she walked to that well that day with her head down, with her jar, and, and probably in her heart, in her mind, just was kind of resigned to the fact that this is my life. This is, the, this is how life is, is going to be for the rest of my life. But things are about to change in her life. The next few moments would change everything for this woman. Look what happens next in verse 9. It says, The woman, she was surprised for Jewish, the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to, the, to Jesus, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Why are you, why are you talking, dude, why are you talking to me? Like, I don't know you and you're Jewish and I'm not and this is not what we do. And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to. Sometimes when people are, are just down and broken, maybe you've been in this place before. I think God comes in and he speaks into our lives. Maybe he whispers and he says, if you only knew who you could speak to. If you only knew, right? You, you guys know this. You, you know the Lord. Or you wouldn't be here this morning. There are people in this community that need you to look at them and go, if you only knew, if I could share with you the Jesus that I know, it would change everything. And Jesus says, if you only knew the, the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And so you can see the woman, her, her, her brain and, and the wheels start to turn. And she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket this well's very deep. Where are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? And besides, who do you think you're, you're, you're greater than? You think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And then Jesus replied, He said, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, Jesus says. And then look at what she says. She, you know, there, he's throwing a lot at her right there, right? He's, he's speaking now metaphorically about spiritual stuff. And he's not just talking about water from this well, Jacob's well anymore. He's talking about something bigger than that. And she says this. She says, sir, I want this water. Give me, I don't really understand what you're talking about, but give me this water. Then I'll be thirsty again. And then notice this. What's that last part say? She says, and I won't ever have to come here again and get water. You can imagine. She doesn't want to go back to this well. Why? Because every time she comes to this well, 
She's reminded. People remind her. And she's decided in her heart, you know what? I'm just going to avoid people. I'm just going to stay away from others because when I go in the morning, they're all yapping at me. And when I go in the afternoon and the evening, there's a big crowd and they're all looking at me. And, and I'm just going to stay away from people. And I get a picture in my life of a woman who has isolated herself from her village and her community. But she's having an encounter now with this man. And he's talking about living water. And he's talking about an eternal life. That was not what she was expecting that day. And then here Jesus tells us, he tells her to, to go get her husband. He quickly does kind of like, he shifts this conversation really quickly, right? He says, go get your husband. I want to talk to your husband. She, she's quick with a re- truthful reply. She says she doesn't have a husband. And then Jesus says this in verse 17. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You, you have had five husbands, and the man that you're with now, is, that you're living with now, is you're not married to him. You certainly spoke the truth. And so this woman is blown away. She's, How does this guy know about my life? How does he know about the, the particulars of, of my relationships? And then she says, sir, you must be... A prophet. There's no way that you can know this otherwise. There's something special going on here. And then the woman asked Jesus uh, why Jews and Samaritans can't agree on the proper place to worship. They have this conversation about that. The Jews say that's in Jerusalem. The Samaritans say that's on Mount Gerizim. And so Jesus answers her question, answers her question, teaches her about what true worship of God looks like. And then in verse 25, here's what he says. Uh, the woman said, I know. This is interesting to me because I get a picture again of a woman who's, who's, who's been with, with five, six, like she's been with like a lot of men in, in this village. She's had husbands after husband after husband. And for whatever circumstances, she's on her sixth relationship or more now, right? And so this is, this is a person who's, who's lived a life and has got a lot of stories to tell. But for whatever reason, she's, she's heard about a coming Messiah. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to re- explain everything to us. She, she had some kind of an inkling of, of something that she was believing in, right? She was holding on to something there. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Oh, snap, right? This just got real. Like this woman is standing here in the presence of someone who claims to be God, who claims to be the Messiah. And, and she is having an encounter with the Messiah, or at least that at this point is who he's claiming to be. Uh, the, John says that about that same time, the disciples return from lunch and, and they see this scene. They see Jesus standing there having a conversation with this, with this woman at Jacob's well. And they're just, they're just, they can't believe it. Like, Jesus, why are you talking to that Samaritan? Well, that is not what we do. But they don't, they don't say anything. John says they didn't, nobody had the courage to step forward and question Jesus about this. And so they just kind of gossiped about it, like back over her on the side, like, what's he doing? Why is he talking to her? You know, probably a lot, a a lot of gossip happened at Jacob's well. Like it was the kind of the hole where everything kind of just went down, right? And so just like those disciples are standing over there going, I can't believe Jesus, I can't believe, you know, you know, there's been those mornings that the Samaritan woman had to walk to that well and there's a bunch of, a group of ladies over there. I can't believe, can you believe like the way she, can you believe her? Like I, she's just, she's, she's a disgrace. She's horrible. You know, there's another group over here doing that. And so she's just finally like, forget it. I don't, I don't have any place in this world, but here's 
an encounter that she's had on this day. And here's what John records in the next scene. He says this, the woman, once she realized that there was something going on with this man, with this, with this guy named Jesus, it says that she left her water jars, she left them there beside the well, and she ran back into the village, telling everyone, look at what, what John says she was saying, come and see, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Will you come out to the well and see this man? Could he possibly be the Messiah? You guys have got to come check this out. You guys got to get out here. I had a conversation with the guy this morning, and I think he's the real deal. I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the one we've been talking about, that we've heard tell of. This could be him. And you guys got to come and see. You guys got to come and check this out. This encounter that this lady had with Jesus changed everything for her and for her village. She forgot about her water jar. She's running through the town. She's shouting to everyone who will listen. You guys come out here and check this out. I know we don't have a great relationship. I know I haven't talked to you in a long time and you don't want to talk to me. But you got to come see this. You got to come hear this because I think this is the real deal. And here's what I want you guys to understand this morning. When you come face to face, when you come face to face with Jesus, with the Messiah, it's going to rock your world. It's going to change everything. Or at least it should, right? When you realize that you're in the presence of the Almighty, And that He is moving in your life. Now, we don't have the same honor that this lady had in John chapter 4 to actually stand in the physical presence of Jesus today. But we know He's with us because the Holy Spirit is leading us. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave my Spirit to be with you, church. And so that's what we have. You have that inside of you. I have that inside of me. Those of us who said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. That's what God promises us. And so when we decide that that's the encounter that we've had, that this is real, it's, it's, it's going to change everything. It changed everything for this woman. My question for us this morning is that what has it changed for you? Because we have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Those who will be in these next two services this morning, they're going to have to make a decision. Do I believe this? And not just only believe it. Do I believe it in my bones to the core of my being? That this is who God is. That Jesus is the Messiah. And if He is then there's nothing you can do other than to say, you guys, whoever you get to talk to, whoever you get to have a relationship with, whoever's your neighbor or your co-worker or your friend, whoever it is, wherever it is that you are called to go, you got to be a come and see person. You got to, you got to be a person that says, you got to come and check this out. Let me show you the way to the one who changes everything. You have a choice to make about who you think Jesus is. Is he the Messiah? 
the Savior of the world or not. And if he is, then you have to tell someone, you have to show someone, you have to love someone, you have to serve someone, you have to sacrifice for someone. So listen to how this story ends. In John chapter 4, verse 39, it says this. The Samaritans from the village, they believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay there in the village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, Now, we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Notice the progression here. There was interest there at first because of of her story. Her energy and her enthusiasm and her passion, because she had just had an encounter with Jesus, changed everything. And these other people were like, you know, she's she's normally not like this. She's a lot quieter, a lot more reserved. Like, what's going on? There must be something up. Let's go check this out for ourselves. And then the rest of her the people in our community, in her village, start to spend time with Jesus themselves. And John says it started to change them. They didn't believe just because of her faith. Now they believe because they sat at the feet of Jesus. They experienced his power and his love and his presence. And it changed them. But it started with a broken Guilty, shameful woman who was just shuffling through life, trying to avoid everyone else. And Jesus decides, let's go, guys, let's go through Samaria today. I'm going to go hang out at the well for a minute. You guys go on into town and get lunch. Here's what I think. I think that day in that village of Sychar, Jacob's well was a divine appointment for that lady. She was there and she met Jesus that day. Have you had that experience? Do you, can you point back and go, that was the day that it all changed for me. It was the day that I met Jesus and everything else after that was different. And so maybe As you sit here today, maybe you're here and life's tough. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you feel hurt or broken. Maybe you feel like the woman who walked that day to Jacob's well alone. I love this quote from Kerry Newoff. He says this, if you want to beat emptiness, if you want to beat emptiness, find a mission bigger than you. If you want, if you're feeling empty and, and useless and like, I don't know what, like, what's the next day or week? What, what is it? Does it even matter? Right? If you want to beat that, if you want to rid yourself of those thoughts that Satan likes to poke at us with, find a mission that's bigger than you. Maybe it's, let me suggest something to you that, that, I, that I know may seem counterintuitive. But here's what I would encourage you to do this morning, this week. Take the focus off of yourself and look for opportunities to serve others. It, it may change their lives, but I know, I know it's going to change yours.
Fill your, your life with love for others and see what God does, what He does to make you whole again. Serve someone else in the name of Jesus and see how that mends your brokenness. It doesn't make sense to us in our brains to say, you know what? I'm not like this. I'm not feeling this. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm not, I'm off. Like things are not right. And God says, all right, take the focus off of yourself and look for opportunities to serve and to love and to sacrifice for another person. Do that and see how he will, will bless you in return. It's only in in his upside-down kingdom that this makes any sense, that we would take the focus off of ourselves and be healed in the process. But that's exactly how God works. I'll close with this, a reminder in John, 1 John 4. It says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, right? We surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love him, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. We love each other because he loved us first. And so here's what I want you guys to understand this morning. People are thirsty. They're dying. Spiritually, they are totally broken. And they're thirsty, and they're hungry, and they're looking for something. And what we are called to do, who we are called to be, are people who show them the way to this eternal well. And I'll say it again. When your head and your heart move your hands and your feet into action, others see God's love through you. When your head and your heart move your hands and your feet, when you take off running back into that village and you go, you guys got to check this out. I think I've seen the Messiah. I think I just talked to God. Come out here and see what you guys think about it. That's what Jesus has called us to be as a church. That's what he's called you to do as a follower of his. And we don't do this alone. We don't go by ourselves. Jesus says, you'll you'll go and my Holy Spirit will be with you. And I'm also going to give you my church. And you're going to do that together. And that's what this is all about. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have in this place to worship you, to hear your word, to think about a a story that changed a woman's life thousands of years ago. God, I pray that we would be inspired, we would be encouraged with her life, with her story, to live hours with purpose and passion and in pursuit of, of what you've called us to. God, may we be a community of changed lives. May we go into this world together, not alone. May we go for the church. May we go for this community. May we go for the world. Because that's what you called us to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you guys stand with me. We're going to sing this song. Um, if, if today's the day where you've come and you just need to pray with someone or you've been contemplating a decision about Jesus uh, in your own life, we'd love to pray with you, Bobby. I'll be over in our decision room over here, right back here. And so if you'd love to to connect with someone today, um, we want to offer that to you. Let's sing this song. You answer prayers. You answer prayers back. And you will answer. You are the same God. You are the same God. You heard your children. You hear your children, 
you guys to uh to watch one more thing and then uh then we'll be dismissed you guys can stay standing this is really short but i want you to watch this on december 11th we all woke to hear about the devastation in western kentucky the worst tornadic event in our nation's history hit in towns like Dawson Springs, where 900 of the 2,000 homes were devastated. The church and the community stepped up to care for the immediate needs, but it will take years to rebuild. And even longer to deal with the trauma our fellow Kentuckians experienced. This is an opportunity for the church to just step up and be the church. Crossroads Missions has unified churches and businesses to be part of the solution in Operation Recovery. We're looking for groups to come serve with us in Dawson Springs. Skilled or unskilled laborers who can come for a day or for a week. It won't cost you a thing and everyone is welcome. You can help rebuild or you can just be a listening ear. Together we can build hope and bring love to our neighbor. The need is great and we cannot do it without you. Come join us today for Operation Recovery. Come and help make the church the hero in Western Kentucky's recovery.
So you guys have been hearing us talk about Hell Build Hope. We're doing that uh, this coming Friday and Saturday out here in our back parking lot. We've got about 90 folks signed up now, so we're excited about that, to come out on Saturday and serve. We're going to build, construct the walls that, are, that we're going to send into one of the homes in Dawson Springs. So if you're a part of that, thanks for, for signing up for that. If you can't be a part of that for whatever reason, be praying for that uh, Friday night and for Saturday, because that's going to be a really special uh, time for those who are involved. Uh, we're, I'm still looking for some folks, some guys, women and men, who are are um, want to kind of step up and like are, are really comfortable about around saws and and those kind of things. We're going to do the pre-cut on Friday night. We need about twenty-five uh, or so people out there. I think we have about. 15-ish right now, so we could use about 10 more. If that's something you'd be interested in, coming up here Friday night at 530. Uh, I ordered the lumber this past week at, at Eddington's. It's going to be here Thursday night, Friday afternoon. We're going to meet up here. We're going to do the pre-cut. So if you'd be interested in doing that, go sign up at that back table. Just put your name, your address, your email address, and I'll, I'll connect with you early this week about that. Also, out in the lobby, there's several of our partners out there. Uh, Allison's out there with ALC. Michael McLaughlin's out there talking about ReadyFest, which is our thing this summer that we get ready for the next school year. Um, there's also a group of ladies out there getting around the Dominican Republic. They're selling some stuff uh, for their trip. Um, and then Elena Jones is out there as well with uh, Uganda information. So go out there, stop at those tables on your way. Hey, you guys, thanks for being here this morning. Let's get out of here. Let's go love God, love people, and change this world.